John 9, 1 through 10. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went, and he washed, and he came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed to me. Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes and washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? The parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. 
he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he was brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was trying to say to them. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that, I, that they might have the life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not for this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I, I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he was a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? We're in the book of John today, um, and we're... We're jumping pretty far from last week. Um, last week, if you here, we were in John 4, 1 through 41, the story of the Samaritan woman. Um, and, and today, we're jumping from John 4 to John 9, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that has happened in between. In John chapter 5, um, we see that John 5 through 10, Jesus does this circuit of all the festivals in Jerusalem. And the festivals were the religious holidays. And, and what happens is we see Jesus interact with the Jews through each of these holidays. As he declares who he is, he says, I am. And, and, and as he shows them who he is through his signs. And, and, and we come to the end of these. And, and, and then from then on, Jerusalem will no longer be safe for him. When we come to, uh, to John chapter 11, at the story of healing Lazarus, Jesus is no longer welcome in Jerusalem. But here in chapter 9, where we are, Jesus is still welcome at least a little bit in Jerusalem. He's not quite there. And, and today, as we look at this story, we're, we're, starting off, we're, we're, we're starting off, we're talking about a blind man having his sight restored. 
But what is most important in this passage is not sight. What is most important in this passage is whose voice do you follow? Do you follow the voice of the light of the world? That it's, I, I'm kind of mixing metaphors, and the reason is, is because in this passage, Jesus is going to mix these metaphors together as John lays this out. And so we're going to look at this together. Um, it is a lot, um, but I'm really excited for it because I think it's so cool as you see the flow of how John brings about this idea of whose voice do we follow? So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that was your son, Jesus. We thank you that when he came, he was the light of the world. We thank you that through him, if we believe in his name, we can be called your children, and we can have life in you. We, we pray today that as we look at this word, that you would be speaking through me. I, I pray that for anyone who has not been drawn to you, that, that you would just be speaking to them, that they would hear your voice, that they would respond to you, the good shepherd. And I I thank you that you know each of your sheep by name. And if we are a part of your flock, we have life and have it to the full. I pray for this time that you would just speak through me, that these would not be my words, but yours. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, oh, that's not me. I always forget about those. Sorry, everybody. There we go. We're good in there. Sorry, everyone. Um, so at the start of the story, it says, as he passed by, as Jesus passed by, and what has happened right before this is that Jesus ticked off some Jewish people because they asked him questions and he answered honestly. And um, between chapters 8 and 9, we don't know how much time passes. The Greek is very vague. It could be in the last chapter, they said, are you greater than our father Abraham? And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And those words are straight up blasphemy if Jesus is not greater than Abraham. And the the last thing we see in chapter 8 is the Jews picked up stones to throw at him. And he, like, hid. He he got away. And then chapter 9 begins. I think that there's time between them, but we're not sure. So, um, So as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, I just want to put this out. This is a really jerky question, right? In our modern society, if somebody asked this question, if they saw someone born blind and went, hey, do you think that was his fault or his parents? Like, like that would just not be okay in our society, right? Maybe, maybe. Thank you, thank you. Two of us would not be okay with that question coming up for the rest of you. But, but the, the, the point is, um, this question in our modern time, it is hard for us to just understand this. Because when you read this, you go, wow, that's, that doesn't seem okay. And here's the thing. In their culture, this was a very different question. Because in their culture, there was a division among religious leaders. There would be some religious leaders who believed that this man, while in the womb, had sinned. And sinned in such a way that God said, this man will be born blind. I personally think that's very ridiculous, um, but it is what some people believed. Other people believed that it was the parents that sinned. They did some sin while the mother was pregnant so that when the child was born, God said, this child cannot see. Now, I want to tell you on the front end that the Bible does not back up either of these claims. Um, But the Jewish people were trying to come to terms with the fact that some babies are born blind. And so this was kind of where the debate led among the religious leaders. There was a division among them. And so when the disciples talk here, 
They're saying, Rabbi, teacher, settle this for us. There's a division about where the sin and what caused this blindness. Can you settle that for us? Jesus answers, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus says, your focus on the negative side of this, and your focus on why did this happen, and you're making it all about the negative of who sinned instead of looking at how God can work through the fallen condition of humanity. I, I do believe that, that because of sin, people are born with things, with problems, with blindness, with different things. And, and that's because in the garden, Adam and Eve sinned, and from that moment on, we live in a fallen world. And so because of that, there are going to be birth defects, there are going to be diseases, there are going to be things that we have to deal with. But to equate it to the sin of one person is a very strong claim. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about right now. We're not going to talk about who it was that sinned, because that's not the point. The point is that this is happening, that the works of God might be displayed through this man who was blind from birth. He goes on, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he says, I am the light of the world, it carries with it that I am. And he's used that phrase, it it comes up in John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. It eventually talks about the light came into the darkness. He says in John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. And here he says it again. And what does the light of the world do in this moment? Jesus, who is the light of the world, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This is kind of a weird moment. Um, The idea that he just spits, mixes it up a bit, and then rubs it on the eyes of this man. But it's what happens here, and and so we're going to find out why in a moment. But after the blind man does that, he goes, he he does it, and he comes back seeing. And the the people that, that have known him before, they start to notice him. And what's really important here for us to know is that if he was blind from birth, there are a number of things that he would have never been allowed to do as a Jewish boy blind from birth. The first one is, is he would have never been allowed in or near the temple. Why? Because he was unclean. He was born in utter sin. The idea of him being near the presence of God was a no-go for the people of Israel. That goes back to stories in Leviticus where, where they talk about the law. So, so he would have never been there before. As a blind person, he, the only way for him to make income would have been he would have begged. And that's the only way people would have noticed him is if he was begging enough, they might have said, okay, here's something. And that would have been his main point of human interaction. On top of that, he would not have been educated. All, all Jewish boys went through a, a certain level of education, and, and this, this man who used to be blind would have had none of that. He would have been somebody that from birth they would have said, we can just pass on by this one. He'll beg and we'll just not notice him, except maybe when we feel charitable. And so now for the first time, he is being noticed. And his neighbors say, is that not the man who used to sit and beg? And some say, yeah, that's him. And others say, no, but he looks like him. And he has to insist, yes, I'm the one. I used to be blind. Yes, that's me. So finally, they believe him and they ask him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answers, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. 
What an amazing story. And you would think at this point that his neighbors would start rejoicing, but instead they ask him, well, where is he? And he says, I don't know. And I I can't help but think when he says, I don't know here, that in the back of his head is, did you guys miss the part where I was blind? half an hour ago? Like, like, I don't know what he looks like. What? It's, such a, it's such a ridiculous moment. And we, sh- we should laugh at this because I, I think that there's irony that's going to happen over and over in this story. But they should say, wow, God has done something amazing. And then they say, where is he? And so they bring him to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. And we're not told exactly where they take him, but it was probably in some area adjacent to the temple in a a building of religious importance where he would go before the Pharisees. And what's really important here is this man has never been allowed in this complex at all. And the first time he gets to come in is after his sight has been restored. Something that that morning and for the rest of his life up to this moment, he has never believed he would be allowed in there for as long as he has understood it. And he's brought in there the man who had formerly been blind. And you think the Pharisees are going to rejoice, but no, because it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And we're going to talk about how ridiculous Pharisees are for a moment. Um, And um, I learned something this week. Um, So, so you know, on on the Sabbath, Jews aren't supposed to work. And that was part of their belief. The Bible said, do not work. And so what would happen is, like, they would try and say, well, what, what do you define as work? And they would start coming up with these things. And so what the Pharisees did, and there are documents going back so far about this, earlier than the days of Jesus, where they would try and work out and define what activities were considered work. And one of the activities, it's clear that they were not supposed to make bread on the Sabbath. And so you can't mix water and flour and mix it together and knead it and make bread. That action, some Pharisees said, The action itself is sinful, needing something. And so when he made mud, well, how did he make mud? The action he took was stirring a liquid and a solid together. This man does not keep the Sabbath. That's really part of what's happening in this story. When Jesus spits in the ground and makes mud, half of the people who hear about this are so bothered that he would mix around spit and mud, not because gross, but because they're like, why on earth would he do that action on the Sabbath? That very action is sinful. And so the Pharisees again ask him. He's already been asked in the Pharisees again. They ask him how he had received his sight. And every time again shows up in this passage, I have it bolded because it's going to be so important as we go. It's in this passage a lot. Um, So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. He keeps telling them the same thing. Some of the Pharisees said at this point, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. He was stirring around water and, or spit and dirt with his fingers. He's not keeping the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Now, what's really interesting, that word signs is plural. But we're talking about one sign. Well, we're not talking about one sign because in the book of John, there are seven signs that Jesus does. Sign number seven is his resurrection. Sign number six is Lazarus being resurrected. But at this point, when he heals the blind man, what is known in Jerusalem is these five signs. Jesus, in chapter two, turned water into wine. Jesus, in chapter four, healed a sick boy. Jesus, in chapter five, healed a paralyzed man. And Jesus, in chapter six, fed 5,000 people. 
And now, in chapter 9, he heals a blind man. And so when we see them asking, well, how can he do these signs if he's not from God? They know about all of these signs, and John wants to make sure we realize that. They know about all these signs, and yet they're still not sure what he's doing because he mixed saliva and dirt in the ground. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? Remember how I talked about this blind man not being educated and being marginalized and something the Pharisees probably had never even thought about this man before except woe to him. His parents must have been bad or he must have been bad before he was born. That's the only way he's ever been remotely thought of. Now this man who has never even been in the temple before, the day he restores his sight, is being asked by the Jewish ruling class, the religious leaders, what do you say about him? This is ridiculous. We should read this as absolutely ridiculous. Why are they asking for his opinion? Because they can't figure it out on their own. They're so divided. So they ask this formerly blind man, what do you say about him? And he says, well, he's a prophet. And when he says this, something shifts. This has been a report up until this point. But in the very next verses, we realize that this is a trial. This may not seem apparent to our modern eyes, but for Jewish people, if someone was accused of something, the first thing they would do is they would have a chance to defend themselves. And then the next thing that would happen is other witnesses would be brought in to verify their story. And so what do they do at this moment? They say, well, we don't believe him. So now at this moment, they go and bring his parents. And they call the parents of the man who had received his sight and ask them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And the tone here is not, oh, let's just go ask the parents and figure this out. The tone is we need reliable witnesses because this man is now on trial because he has been healed. His parents answered, we know that this is our son, so yes, and that he was born blind, yes, we know that. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. So they're willing to verify, yeah, this is our son. Yeah, he was born blind. But they won't say any more. And the reason for that is because the Jews, which the Jews' term here refers to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, um, had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. They were to be essentially excommunicated, cast out of the Jewish community, which Blindness is a really terrible thing in ancient Jerusalem, but being cast out of the synagogue, being excommunicated from among your people, is the one thing worse. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for a second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And, and what they're saying here, is that, so, so you, just, you have to just imagine This man has never been allowed among these religious leaders before. He's never been accepted among his people. And finally, for the first time ever, they're listening to him. They want him to hear, or they want him to say something. And they say, give glory to God. Well, we should be worshiping God. A blind man can now see. But they say, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. They ask him to say the one who gave him sight is wicked. They ask him to say that. They, They say, if you want to be a part of what we're doing here, We need you to denounce the one that just gave you sight. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. I love this verse, that I once was blind, but now I see. And when I read this, I think it's funny, because I've always taken that verse as great theological oomph. 
with it. And when you read it here, he's just saying, I don't know. I just know I can see right now. Why are you asking me these other questions? Do you not realize I can see? This morning I woke up and I couldn't see. I can see right now. Can we just focus on that for a minute? And yet they push in again. They said, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And the the man who'd formerly been blind, he answered them, I have told you already. And you would not listen. Listen's going to become important as we go. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Those are fighting words. Those are fighting words. And, and they reviled him. They hate him in this moment. They're angry at him. And they said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. In this moment, you see the ignorance of this divided group of religious leaders. We don't know where this man comes from. They're not saying he's wrong. They say we know he's a sinner, even though we don't know where he comes from. They, they say you need to badmouth him, but, but we don't know where he comes from. They're, they're basically saying we're not sure, but because he doesn't fit in the categories that we have for what we think he should be if he's who he's starting to claim to be, because he's not what we think he should be, we are going to reject him. The man answered, the uneducated, formerly blind man, on his first day in a church. That's how I like to think about this. He goes, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. So remember when they were all divided at the start of this story? What they should have been saying is, well, we know that God acts in this way, but he doesn't act in, like, like they should have been logically following along. They should have been thinking about, gee, okay, so he did this. What does this mean? We know that God only does these works for the thing. And, and, and they should have gotten to this point on their own. It should not have taken an uneducated, formerly blind man to tell them this when they heard about these signs of Jesus. And, and he goes on, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Essentially, what is happening here is he is giving them the theological grounding of what they should have already realized on their own. What's really crazy in this passage, and I I love this, when it says, never since the world began, has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind? My first thought was, yeah, I I bet someone got their sight back in the Old Testament. And so I spent a lot of time this week trying to figure out, was there a blind person in the Old Testament that was healed? And the answer is no. No, especially not blind from birth. On, on top of that, the places where you see blindness talked about and sight restored talked about in the Old Testament are almost all explicitly linked to the Messiah. When he comes before them and they verify that he was born blind, at that moment, there should have been no doubt for these religious leaders. But there's division and no one wants to say who he is. Instead, they debate it, and everyone avoids saying something that, if it's right, shatters the very way they live their lives. So he logics them into, here's what you should believe right now. And they respond, you were born in utter sin and would teach us, and they cast him out. They cast him out. They excommunicated him. He went in a day from from unable to enter the temple because he was born in utter sin and blind to at the end of the day, being able to see, but never, ever allowed to enter the temple again. 
in Jewish standards, that's worse. <laughs> I think it's crazy that this is less than a 24-hour span. This guy goes from unwelcome to welcome to never allowed in. But what's good is that the story doesn't stop here. They cast him out for saying to them what they should have been saying on their own. And the next thing that happens, Jesus comes back in the story. He heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, Jesus said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the formerly blind man answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. At this point, the formerly blind man says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. What an amazing moment. His, his belief, he, he, he realizes, he hears the voice of Jesus, and Jesus says, you have seen him. I, what an amazing moment. He probably recognizes the voice, and he sees the one who saved him, and he falls, and he worships at his feet. But Jesus doesn't stop there, because this isn't really a story of Jesus and a blind man. As we're going to see in a moment, Jesus said at that point, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we blind? He's, the, the Pharisees mock at this point. They say, okay, okay, so you're saying we're blind, Jesus? They're, they're, they're basically saying, uh, no, 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 no. Are you calling us blind? And Jesus' response, um, I used this term in the first service, and I don't think anyone knew it, um, but there's this thing called a mic drop, where like somebody like says something really cool, and then they hold the mic out, and they drop it, and it's like, I'm done. Okay, it's like a, you guys don't know that? I think you, okay, some of you, know, no one's nodding, so I just want to make sure, because if I say it and I don't explain it, then you guys are going to be like, that's weird. Um, but so Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And that's like a moment of he is saying, no, 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 you guys are saying that you see. And if you say you see, I'm not going to excuse you and say, well, actually, you're blind. Because if you insist that you see, there's a bigger problem here. The imagery of this that I think is so powerful, um, our youth group, a lot of times, um, we will turn all the lights off in the building at night, and we will play like hide-and-go-seek type games. Um, and so I'll, I'll go find a hiding spot in one of the rooms. There's only like five good hiding spots in this whole church. And for some reason, no one ever hides in them. So I always get one. But I'll go hide in the spot. And I will sit there. And eventually, my eyes will start to adjust to the darkness. And then what will happen is some punk kid, even though we say don't use lights, will come in and they'll flip the light switch. And I'll, oh, you know, because it's just the brightness of the light just destroys. Your, your eyes have been adjusting and adjusting, and now that, ah, oh, it just ruins it. And what's happening in this passage is Jesus, who is the light of the world. The, the, the Pharisees have been living in darkness. We know in John 1 that before Jesus came, the light of the world had not entered the world, and so the world was in darkness. The Pharisees are saying, it's light enough. We can see. We're doing well. They're standing in darkness trying to proclaim that they're in the light. And so when the light finally does come, those who were blind are able to see because for the first time they realize this is what the light looks like. But for those who claim they can see, the moment that they are put face to face with the light, it is blinding. And what happens is they reject it. 
And the passage does not stop here. So the Pharisees said, are we also blind? Jesus responds, no, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. But since you say we see, your guilt remains. And then he goes into a long conversation with them. Truly, truly, I say to you, Pharisees who say that you can see. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. A sheepfold in this time period, and even today, there are sheepfolds that are still like this. It would be this large enclosure. Um, It wouldn't necessarily have a roof. Some of them do. Usually they don't. It would be this massive enclosure that would have very tall walls so that the sheep could not get in or out over the wall. And it would have one door. And it, Jesus is saying here the, that there are people who want into the sheepfold, who are going to climb in by their own way. And those people who are willing to do that are thieves and robbers. And he's specifically talking here about Pharisees who say, I can see. Rather than go in by the door, rather than go in by the door, because they'd all have these big doors where all the sheep would go in, rather than going by the door, they want to go in on their own terms. And Jesus says the one who does that is a thief and a robber. Well, what does a thief do? They steal and they break in. What does a robber do? Well, the language here in the book of John, robber is always like a placeholder for the word insurrectionist. Um, We're going to talk about that later when we talk about Barabbas and who the people ask for instead of Jesus. But an insurrectionist would have been someone working actively to overthrow and to rule in place of. It would have been someone who said, I can rule better than them. I'm going to overthrow them. So the people who enter by another way are breaking in to steal or breaking in to try and take authority from the actual shepherd that goes in by the door the right way. To the shepherd, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. To this day, if you go to the Middle East to these sheepfolds, a shepherd will take their sheep into the sheepfold, and the next day the shepherd will call. And when the shepherd calls, the sheep will follow their shepherd. This is a modern thing. This is really cool. If, if there are multiple shepherds that take their sheep to the same sheepfold, when they leave, they don't have to like go through, oh, did you brand your sheep? And they have to like look in the wool. No, they will just make their call. And each of them will have a unique call, and, and the sheep will follow their shepherd. And so you might have three or four shepherds with all their sheep in the same pen or sheepfold, and they will all call out, and their sheep will go to them because their sheep know their voice. And Jesus is saying here, he says, the sheep hear his voice, the shepherd's voice, and he calls, his own she- or he calls his own sheep by name. So he takes it a step further. It's not just that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. The shepherd intimately knows the details of the sheep. Um, they would not have named their sheep back then because their sheep were going to be their food or sacrifices. So they would not have been like, oh, little sheep name they they would not have wanted to do that because it, you know they don't want that personal connection probably um but so he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out when he has brought out all his own he goes before them he protects them and leads them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice a stranger they will not follow but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers as, as we come to the end of this first figure of speech Jesus uses, he is saying, I'm the shepherd here. And the sheep, they're going to know and respond to my voice. Anyone else who comes in is a thief or a robber, bent on stealing or destruction. And, and, and they're a stranger. The sheep aren't going to follow them anyways. So even if they can get into the sheepfold, my sheep, I know my sheep, and they follow me. 
Others, the others climb in the wrong way. They're thieves and robbers. They call to the sheep, but the sheep flee from them. The sheep will not follow them because the sheep do not know their voice. The shepherd enters the right way. The sheep hear his voice. They call, uh, he calls his sheep by name. He leads them out. He brings all of them and goes before all of them. This first imagery Jesus uses to show them how he's the shepherd, the sheep hear his voice. But of course, this figure of speech that Jesus used with them, they did not understand what he was saying. And the them here are the Pharisees. These are the religious leaders. These are the ones who should know everything if they're going to deny Jesus. They, they should be a pretty big deal. But instead, they're standing face to face with the good shepherd and they have no idea what to do with him. And so Jesus again said to them, and this time he uses a new figure of speech. A lot of the terminology in this one is going to be the same, but it's new. It's not the same exact one. He's not trying to like explain to them the first one. Now he tells them a different one to try and open their eyes again to what he's trying to say. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Jesus immediately says, I am the access point. You want to join this fold, you go through me. All who came before who said there's another way in, they're thieves, they're robbers. The sheep will not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus again here says, I'm... I am here. If anyone goes in by me, they will be saved and they will go in and out. He's saying, I'm the access point. If you want to be a part of my flock, you go through me. I'll let you in. I'm I'm the one you got to go through. The, The thief is going to come in their own way and try and go out their own way and what they bring with them is stealing and killing and destruction. And and what's interesting here is I have always read this passage as that thief is Satan. But in light of everything we've read so far today, we can say, well, Satan is a thief and he would kill, steal, and destroy. But what this passage is actually talking about is people who claim they see God, claim they follow God well, who do it on their own terms with their own agenda, who are unwilling to follow after Jesus, and they are trying to lead sheep astray and trying to kill, steal, and destroy. For whatever their motive is, that's the outcome. And so Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then he goes on here, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus said, first Jesus is the door, now he's the shepherd, the good shepherd. And then he gives a contrast between the good shepherd and another. He says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But Jesus is not one who leaves his sheep. Where a hired hand will run away, Jesus, the good shepherd, he knows, uh, I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He's not some mere hired hand. He's not some smaller anything. He is the good shepherd. He is ready to lay down his life for his sheep. They know his voice. They follow him. He knows their names. He goes on, and I have other sheep, and I love this. He says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd, the only 
shepherd in this scenario. And what Jesus is saying here, he's talking about, we talked about this last week, the Samaritans. They said Jesus is the Savior of the world. And the week before, in the story of Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. There's a theme in John that this isn't just for the Jews. And Jesus here is reinforcing that even as he talks to the Pharisees. He's telling them, I have other sheep. My sheep, it's not just this one little, I, I have a flock. And I know my flock. I know all of my flock and they know me. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus here is saying that when we come to the moment of the cross where he is going to die for the sins of the world and and so that his sheep can be a part of his flock, he's not going to do it because he is like, like, unable to defend himself. In fact, what, we're, we're going to talk about this. And if you, I'm, I just get so excited. This is one of my favorite moments in the Bible. Jesus, when, when he's in the garden and they come to arrest him, um, they come with clubs and swords and torches and there's this massive group and they say, are you Jesus? And Jesus says, I am. And everyone falls over. Like his, the authority of just his voice is enough to knock everyone over. And here he says, no one takes it from me. No one takes my life from me. I am laying it down of my accord. He right now is foreshadowing that moment when he is on the cross where at any moment he could have spoken that moment out of existence. But he won't. I have authority to lay it down. He has authority to lay down his life and he has authority to take it up again with the resurrection. This charge I have received from my father. At the end of this whole thing, he doesn't just say, I'm going to do this. He says, I'm doing this under the authority given to me by my Father. Jesus is not acting on his own. He's acting inside of the will of his Father, God. And, and he is fully God, and the, the Trinity somehow fits into this. Um, we don't have time for that. There's a Bears game on. But, but let me tell you that when you come to this moment, Jesus is saying here that what he's going to do is what his purpose was. Jesus didn't come to earth and get, walk around for a while, and after a while go, you know what, I think I'm going to need to die for these people. There is intention in the Good Shepherd from the beginning, and we cannot miss that. We cannot miss that. And what he does, he does on his own. He has authority to stop it at any point, but he also has authority to do it, and he does it for his sheep. And so we come to the end of this story, and there's a contrast here. And I think this contrast sums up very well the, the, the people who have division in the story. There are thieves and robbers that when they encounter Jesus, they, they would rather have the sheep listen to them, but the sheep will not listen to them. And the thieves and robbers, whether or not they mean to kill, steal, and destroy, the outcome of their actions, because they try and point people away from what Christ is doing, is they, they steal, they kill, and they destroy. The best they do is, is hurt the flock and move people further away. There's also the hired hand. And in the passages we've looked at where divisions arise, I think the hired hand in this story refers to those specific people who are like, well, he's doing a lot of signs. Maybe he is from God. But they're unwilling to commit. A man has brought sight to the blind for the first time in human history. The Old Testament talks over and over about how this person must be the Messiah. And you're going, well, maybe. Maybe. You know your Bible. Come on. And, and so the, the hired hand flees from dangers. He, he's unwilling to step into what he needs to step into and, and allows the sheep to be taken and scattered. And they're ultimately killed the same way. Because the hired hand cares more for himself than for the sheep. And finally, there's Jesus. He's the door of entry for the sheep into the sheepfold. 
Anyone who, hears, who enters through Jesus is saved. Jesus comes to give life and give it to the fullest. He is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep. He knows his own. I love it. He knows all of his own. And he has authority to lay down his life, and he does so willingly. How amazing. And, and so we come to the end, and, and there's a few more verses, because, of course, there was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him, thieves and robbers? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Hired hands. At no point in this story does anyone outside of the blind man who has his sight worship God. Because in these moments, they are so focused on other things that they miss that they are talking to the good shepherd. And instead of listening to his voice, they reject it and say, I'm going to do this on my own terms, and you're not matching the terms I have for you. And so today, as we close, I want to challenge you. I want to ask you to consider, do you follow the good shepherd? Do you listen to his voice? That's the question at the end of all of this. If you are here today, and you have never heard this before, and you're, you're sitting out there and you're wondering, well, do I? I'd encourage you, after the service, I'll be hanging out. Um, come talk to me. I would love to talk to you. I'd lo- love to point you to the Good Shepherd. And, and at the end of today, I don't want you to follow after me. Because if you're following after me, I'm just a sheep. I'm hopefully a shepherd here in, in my role here. But at the same time, ultimately, I'm a sheep following the Good Shepherd. And that's what my desire and what your desire should be, is that you're following the Good Shepherd. Not that you're following someone who follows the Good Shepherd, but that you are following the Good Shepherd, that you listen and hear his voice and respond to it, that he knows your name, and that you know him. That's, that's the desire of this passage. And the other thing in this passage, if you are sitting out there, and you've been going to church your whole life, and you are super confident about who you are, and you said, I've always known this, I've always seen this, I want to challenge you to think, do you listen to his voice? Because it's really hard to, it, it, or it's really easy to say, yes, I listen, but to live and operate in a way that shows that I don't hear. That's, that's, a, that's a very easy thing for me to do. It's very easy for me to say, yes, I follow Jesus. I focus on him. But then in my day-to-day, he is not the one I am listening to. As I go out, he goes before me, but I may not follow. And, and so I want to challenge you not to miss that. Listen for the good shepherd's voice. I want to challenge you to that, and I, and I hope that if you have not ever heard his voice, that, that today you will come ask, and we can just talk through that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that your son came and, and that he was light and that because of him we can be your children. And, and we thank you so much that he is the good shepherd. Jesus, we thank you so much that you know us by name if we are a part of your flock. We thank you that you give entrance to anyone who will come in by you. You are the door that we can enter through. And your desire is that we would have life and have it to the full. And I pray that if anyone here does not know you, that they would not leave today without stepping into just, just asking questions so, so that they can come to know you. I, I pray that you would be speaking to them, that they would hear your voice. I, I pray for all of us that, that we would be guided by your voice, that you would be the one that we seek to follow. And, and I thank you so much that you work through the lowest of the low in Jerusalem and that you speak to the lowest of the low and the highest of the high with the desire that your sheep would know you the way that you know them. We, we pray as we leave here today that, that you would just, just open our eyes and open our ears specifically to you. 
that we might hear your voice. It's in your name we pray. Amen.